Timothy Radcliffe is the Dominican friar and theologian. He is a consultant to the Pontifical Council for Justice and Peace. He was director of Las Casas Institute for Social Justice at Oxford, where he is now on the advisory board. Timothy is known for his views on things like homosexuality, divorce and remarriage, and the authority of women in the Catholic Church, areas in which he has pushed for open conversation and an embrace of difference something which has earned him the description of being controversial. In this final episode for the second season of the podcast, he talks to the editor of Australian Catholics magazine, Michael McVie. They discuss questions about Catholic identity and teaching, including what it means to grow in conversation, even in, and perhaps, especially difficult, complex conversations. How can contemporary Christianity, for instance, Get past the moralism and step into areas of pain. Hi, I'm Fatima Misham. Welcome to Chatter Square. You're here to talk to sort of to Catholic teachers, and our Catholic education system here in Australia is very different. To a lot of places, we have quite a vast system, and it means that there's sort of different uh, challenges within that. But um, what are some of the things that you've been talking with teachers about? One of the topics that often reoccurs is that of uh, Catholic identity. What is a Catholic identity of a school? Mm -hmm. I look at the whole combination of unity, unity of humanity, but also the whole question of diversity, tension, disagreement, um, as being an essential part of Catholicism. Another popular subject has been teaching as an act of friendship. How do you teach? Is it not more, more than the imparting of information? How do you teach people the delight in God's creation? Uh, how, do you, how do you live friendship? with your pupils, because that's an essential part of our tradition. Jesus says, you call me teacher, I call you friend. So in the whole Western tradition, there's a, the idea of friendship and teaching going together. One of the big challenges for schools, I think, is that idea of Catholic identity. And so it's interesting, obviously, that a few have brought that up, that um, when you have a school that where the majority of students wouldn't be going to, to church on Sunday, in fact, the majority of teachers wouldn't be going to church on Sunday. Even religion teachers yeah. often aren't people who go to church on Sunday. So their Catholic identities and wouldn't be, you know, we've often taught, I've often sort of thought about it. What are the 10 words to describe you? For a lot of those, even the people are teaching religion, Catholic wouldn't be one of those 10 words. How do we keep that, or how do we sort of engage people in the church, in a church space, when so many kind of are, are on the out, on their margins or even on the outer in that in that sort of space. It's an interesting way of putting it, uh, Michael. And I don't think that anybody, another any of the groups that I have met put it like that. Hmm. But if you look at, uh, at Jesus, what you find is it's precisely the people on the margins he's interested in. Hmm. So seeing that there are people who are on the margins of the church, suspicious of it. Uh, maybe afraid of it, finding ways to engage them doesn't dilute our Christian identity. 
Mm. It's actually what, what you find in the foundation of the church in the first place. It's the old people, it's the prostitutes, it's the Pharisees, it's the, it's the critical ones, it's the questioners and the doubters. So I think one of the first things you have to say is, bring us your doubts. Let's have conversation about them. And I think always the, the important thing with the church is we, we will only have authority as a church if we give authority to people who disagree with us. The great temptation of Western Christianity is being introverted. We're all obsessed by internal questions instead of getting excited, uh, as they do in the rest of the world, by how we get out there. Mm. But I think it's a great opportunity. We have to overcome some prejudices. One prejudice is that doctrine closes your mind. People like spirituality, not doctrine. This is a complete misunderstanding of Catholic doctrine, which expands the mind. It, it expands the heart. It challenges you to think. The point about doctrine is not for you to stop thinking, it's to provoke you into thought. That's always been the case throughout the whole of history. So um, I think that's a bit, I've seen this as a challenge. I think the other thing is we have to get beyond the idea that Christianity is basically moralism. I talked to a wonderful young teacher and I said, well, you teach RE, what do you do? And I, she said, I tell them they ought to be good. And I thought, oh, yes, there was a religion like that. It's called Pharisaism. Uh, and it was precisely uh, that moralistic approach that Jesus came into conflict with. But what he talked about was gift, utter gift, transformation. Uh, he didn't say, you ought to be good. He did say, be holy as my father is holy. But he also welcomed people unconditionally, regardless of whether they were good or not. How, we had a young teacher who was working for us, he's just finished his master's and was talking to some of the other students in his education master's course. And um, one of them, and they were talking about some issue, some issue around sexuality or marriage equality issue and one of them sort of said oh well we can't you know stay away from that for in terms of re you know religious education we can't really go there in the classroom and he's kind of he had a kind of quite angry response to that saying well actually this is where the students want to want to be this is where they're asking the questions and i suppose the challenge is how do we find teachers who aren't confident in that space themselves but how do we find Confidence in able in being able to open that open those kind of discussions up in our classrooms and and um, you know not be afraid of all of the different opinions that come through. If you look at morality, moral issues, ethical issues, we live in a very lit litigious society, and we think everything's about law, everything's about what you're commanded to do or you're forbidden to do. Usually you seem to be commanded to do what you don't want or forbidden to do what you do. But actually, the Christian moral tradition is not about that at all. It's about growing in friendship with God. It's a formation in friendship. So the first thing that we have to, to share, I think, with our, our teachers is that Christianity is about growing Aquinas, or I must quote as a good Dominican, Aquinas said, Morality is about growing in freedom and happiness. Mm. The freedom and happiness of the children of God. That's what a whole virtue, training in virtue is about. Becoming strong. 
It's not primarily about obeying rules. Any more than playing football is a primary. You don't play football in order to obey the rules. You need rules, of course. You, uh, you couldn't have a game of football if there weren't any rules. But the point of it isn't to obey the rules. It's the joy mm. of the sport. And so uh, also our moral vision is about growing in joy and freedom. Mm. And I think unless people can get that, they're not going to ever understand what Catholic moral teaching is about. I had uh, um, to, I had a conversation last year dur during the marriage equality debate with a Jesuit philosopher, and because um, we work for a Jesuit organisation, but and I was and I put him I put to him the question of why is it that the church's voice just isn't heard in, heard in this debate? Why, why is it? Why is it that the church's voice just isn't heard in the marriage equality debate? That that people aren't you know that. From as far as the secular world is, the church has absolutely nothing to say on these issues. And and his response was, well, in order to have a conversation, you have to be willing to listen and to be changed by what you heard. And the perception is that the church isn't willing to listen and to be changed by what they hear. And so how do we become more open to that listening and to being changed and moved in in these kind of public conversations on these issues? Very interesting. I mean, I think... You gotta listen. Uh, if I want to understand the whole uh, issues around homosexuality, let's listen to some Catholic gay people. Let's listen to what's their experience, and then I, we, we never will be listened to unless we listen. Uh, and that means that when I do theology, uh, I hang around with friends who aren't Christian, uh, and I listen to them, and I hope they listen to me. I read novels and go to films, not ones written necessarily by Christians. Anybody who explores the complexity of human experience, anybody who can help you to understand what it means to fall in love, to fail, to suffer, face death, it doesn't matter whether they're Christian or not. If they're loyal to the complexity of being human and, and loving as a human being, they will help me to understand God, who is love. They will help me to understand Jesus, who is a human being, who is divine. So you just to get in there and listen. Um, if we listen, people will listen. I think the biggest challenge we have is to have grown-up conversations. Uh, Francis wants the, the church to become a community in which there is conversation at every level. The, the Bible is, it isn't God's voice booming out saying, here are all the answers. As Pope Benedict said, Pope Benedict said it is, a revelation is God's unending dialogue with his people. And I think this becomes flesh and blood in, in Jesus, who is a man of conversation. I love the Gospel of John. It's one conversation after another. So, um, are we grown up enough to have adult conversations? That means we state our convictions uh, with courage, but we listen. It means that you never dismiss uh, people who disagree with you as ridiculous or absurd or nonsensical. And that you recognize we all have different forms of authority. Uh, Carl Newman, blessed John Henry Newman, 
recognized at least three authorities in the church. The authority of tradition, hence the hierarchy, the authority of reason in the, in the universities, in his case, that's how he saw it. The authority of experience, which is in the whole people of God. So to have a really good conversation, we have to not only talk, not only listen, but realize that different people speak with different sorts of authority. If we want to talk about Australian cricket, I will accept that you have an authority, which I don't have. <laughs> Somebody else will, will have authority to talk about how to make cricket bats. Or a doctor will say, well, this is how you look after the health of our cricketers. And a really good conversation is mutually respectful of the different sorts of authority that people have when they engage in the conversation. One of the challenges for this 2020 process, and, and it's linked a little bit to that, is this: is that you know there's a lot of people who are who haven't felt heard and haven't felt that 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 there's been a um, that their authority, their experience has been heard by the church, and and I suppose they're coming from places of long long being ignored in in that, and um, so there's a lot of cynicism around, you know, and I talk to different people, and while I kind of have tried to embrace it, encourage people, just, you've got to be part of it, otherwise you can't, you know, you can't be, uh, you you can't then be unhappy about the the outcomes if you haven't at least tried, but my, um, but I do think that there's a sort of need for, how do we overcome that sort of cynicism or that burden of history, particularly on the areas of pain, and, you know, Certainly there's, you know, lay people who felt hurt, but there's also plenty of other people who've really been hurt by the church. And, and how, so how do we overcome those kind of, those sorts of, um, those, that, those areas of pain? It's, it's a very slow bit. Any healing, if you've ever had an operation, you know it takes a long time to heal. Um, and the first thing, obviously, is you have to face it. Uh, and be patient and not defensive. When the church listens to somebody's pain, the temptation often for the hierarchy or for priests is to be defensive. Uh, but that has to come much later. You have to say, well, first of all, first of all, we listen. And this is obviously the case of the sexual abuse scandal. Um, we have to give a long process. A few apologies are not enough. Um, and a few meetings with survivors are not enough. Uh, you really have to be touched by the depth of the pain. The other thing is to speak out can be quite frightening and you can feel very alone. So we have to create institutions that help people to do this. One of the great gifts of the church has been institutional creativity. We've created bags of institutions in every century. New congregations, new orders, new forms of teaching, new forms of mission. Um, We never just sat there saying, well, the hierarchy is the institutional church. We've gone out and created new ones. Women have created lots of new institutions in the history of the church. People like Teresa of Avila reforms in Catherine of Siena. And I think what we need to do is to create institutions which sustain and support people who have something else to say. I think the church before the Vatican Council, strangely, was more complex. We simplified it. The religious life weakened and everything became more and more 
the hierarchy. The old church was much more complex, with institutions of hospitals, universities, religious orders, which had their own freedom. So we have to have, we have to create spaces and places where people can be sustained and supported in their speaking. Are you probably a little bit aware, at least, of the Indigenous people in Australia? And they released a, um, a what was called the Uluru Statement last year, which was kind of um, a, a statement around, you know, what are their desires, for, a desire for representation, a desire for a stake, and a desire for a treaty, which mm. doesn't exist here in Australia. And But one of the lines that always just haunts me out of that, that whole statement is is where they talk. They the line is that this is the this is the torment of our powerlessness, and so it comes from this place of incredible vulnerability. It comes from this place of incredible openness, if you like, and yet it was completely and utterly ignored by our government and our officials. And so, coming back to that sort of mission of the church and that mission towards the the margins and to the, towards the vulnerable is is how do we help provide a voice how do we how how is a society how do we help build a more compassionate society so that when groups speak out of such openness and vulnerability and who lay themselves out there that that they're listened to and that they're heard in that broader society i think it's part of a of a bigger problem which is that we are a very centralized society uh power is more and more in the center uh, and even in many countries, it's moving towards dictatorship. You know, Turkey and China and Russia. Uh, is, 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 I think it's partly because in this global world, the forces of international capitalism are such that people try and stand up to it often by, by having powerful states. And I understand that. But the result is that very often there's an evacuate, a loss of power in a local community of all sort, indigenous people, but all ordinary, ordinary people. Uh, if I think of Oxford, I don't even know who the mayor of Oxford is, uh, because we're all focused on 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 the cabinet, the prime minister. So I I think there's an enormous challenge of democracy we're facing, in which the indigenous people are a very startling and challenging example but it's, it's the only the most extreme example of a general problem which is that basically people don't have much of a voice democracy is weakening and we need to find fora of, of i think at a local level of actually listening to each other um imagine you've got melbourne here i don't know how many million of people what voice do most people think that they have? That was Father Timothy Radcliffe talking with Australian Catholics magazine editor Michael McVie for the final episode of our second season. We have been delighted and humbled by the generosity of all our guests who have offered sharp and stimulating insight across a range of issues in culture, policy and society. Thanks also to our listeners for joining and supporting us. Please subscribe, check out our other episodes, and tell people about us. I'm Fatima Mishim. See you next time on Chatter Square. <laughs>